It's July the 31st, 2019. This is 508, a show about Worcester. I am Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Malikin. Chicken, brother. And today's guest is Worcester School Committee Challenger, Mariah Martinez. How are you doing? I'm well, how are you? I'm doing great. I am doing great. I'm doing good. Um, yeah, I wanna go, we're going to ask you the questions we've been asking people about school committee stuff. So uh, first question is, why are you running? I'm running because there was a lot of parents, students, and teachers that were disappointed and unhappy with the current way that the school committee was going. Yes. And a lot of people felt like they weren't being heard. And I wanted to be that line of connection to be able to talk to those who feel like they're not being heard and implement things such as real world curriculum, um, having financial literacy, civics, things that need to be taught to students so they're really prepared for the real world. How have you been active in public life in Worcester until now? This is me starting. All right. I'm younger. I'm the youngest one running, and I really want to be involved in my community, so I figured there's no time like now. Good luck. Any follow-up questions, Brandon Malikin? No. Well, did you go to Worcester Public Schools? I did. I was there basically my entire life. I graduated from South High 2015, so I basically just graduated yesterday, right? So that'd be New South, right? Graduated from, was that the first class, the New South High? No, not to no. help. That, that was thinking north. That's right. Okay. South. I was going to say there's, the an, there's yeah. another new one, but yeah. <laughs> they're, the, they're um, coming. Yeah. So what was your, exper- was your experience as a student? Uh, do you feel similar to what you're hearing from parents today? It's a bit different, but I did very well in school, but I was also very, I kept to myself. So I was mm-hmm. always big into just studying and focusing. So I couldn't connect to what others are feeling right now. Mm-hmm. So it's different. I'm just curious. But yeah, I think no that's personal. Just, that's my personality. Yeah, no, no. I think I, that's why it's different. It's just, it's interesting. I think this is the first time we've had somebody on who had the current superintendent as a principal. I did. Uh, while they were in school. So, I mean, I, I think you actually would be able to see the landscape from both sides, both a, a, as a student and then somebody who's a, a participant uh, just in, in civic life and whatnot. That, Absolutely. Yeah. I think as a, um, as a principal, I think she did very well. We had a lot of different organizations within South High that contributed to those who are in need. We had Andy's Attic, which is great. There was, I don't know if you're aware of it, but yeah, very much so. Okay. So then there's also the food pantry that we had where students could have a backpack and just, it would look like a regular book um, backpack full of school supplies, but you can fill it up with canned goods and food and go home as if you were just another student. Mm -hmm. So we definitely have really great organizations within South High. Cool. So, so the second question is, Worcester's owed something like $100 million by the, uh, by the state for education expenses, depending on how you count it. Uh, what would you like to see us do about this? Get our money. Okay. We deserve it, right? The students deserve it. How are we supposed to give those students the resources without the money to have it? It's not like the school system is asking for more money. They're asking for what they are owed, what they deserve. What would you like to see us do to retrieve the money and how long it's just, and how long before Worcester is repaid in full or what offer from the state would satisfy you? I think that the school system deserves every penny that they are owed because they're not, again, they're not asking for this crazy number that they just came up for just for fun. Mm-hmm. This is money that they're owed. So I think they deserve the money that they're asking for. So right now they're going about suing them. And if that's the only way to get the money they rightfully deserve, then go for it. Okay, Brendan. Oh, that's Brendan, your fair answer. Counterpoint. <laughs> um, no, no, no counterpoint. <laughs> what's important for people to know about the academic outcomes of our different schools? 
we should all be succeeding. All of the students, regardless of their race, religion, every student should be succeeding. Okay. And so all, regardless of what school they're in, they should be succeeding at the same level. Okay. And what do you, what should people know about the, uh, about discipline in our schools? We're not doing it right. The numbers of students that are below the third grade are being suspended. Um, I don't have the solution, to be honest. I want to work with those in the school committee and really find a solution, but we shouldn't just be suspending children and then taking their education away from them and expect them to succeed once they get to high school because it's really not starting in high school. It's starting when they're younger, being suspended with these emergency suspensions, and then how are they ever going to succeed? And so and you say we're not doing it, right? Because we're suspending these children. They're children. These so, aren't 17-year-olds. These aren't teenagers. These are children that are being suspended. So what, what does doing it right look like? What should we be doing differently about kids who are causing trouble? We should be, rather than, what kind of punishment is really going home? It's not punishment. We're kind of just giving up on these students. These students need a way to be able to still be focused on their education. So whether it means removing them from that classroom so that way they can have a one-on-one -on -one with a different person who can understand that child a bit more, but we shouldn't be pushing them away. Okay, so you, so you would like to see kids who are being disruptive in the classroom diverted into some kind of program where there's just way, way more adults per student rather than saying, get out of here? Well, maybe temporarily. I don't think they should be fully removed from the class. I think if there's a student who is disruptive, if they had more one-on-one -on -one time, one -on -one time with someone they can understand and someone who understands them, and then they're able to be put back into that classroom and to succeed with the other children. Brenda Milliken. I actually I had a question going back to um, when it came to uh, your success rates for, for students and whatnot. Obviously, I mean, as a parent, right, like we all want our kids to succeed. But how, how do you how do you see that happening where all students would achieve the same level of uh, matriculation? I think we don't not every student is able to understand the children that they're with. So I think it's not really the teacher's fault to blame because they don't know how to deal with every single different type of student that comes into their classroom. So there needs to be some type of training where they're able to connect to each child even though they're not relatable and or even having more relatable um, teachers within the school system. We don't have enough of that as well. It's not diverse. It really isn't. So I'm not saying every student needs to, uh, every teacher needs to be a Hispanic or an African-American. Well, I, I wasn't even, that wasn't but even just, a thought passing through my head about race. I just mean in terms of actual education attainment, right? Like, so I don't know. I know stupid people. <laughs> like, how do you how do you get someone that isn't that bright to actually achieve the same level that somebody who's taking all AP classes? And I, in the way I was, yeah, if I apologize if I didn't if I wasn't being clear. No yeah, worries. I just mean in terms of actual attainment, right? Like, so yeah, well, I'm just curious how how you how you see that actually playing out. Yeah, I agree with you fully when it comes to the makeup of the, the professionals. And we were actually talking about that a couple weeks ago. It's almost like magic how we woke up one day and uh, the Worcester Police Department has changed its demographics significantly. When it was only about 15, 20 years ago, we were, what the heck's going on here? Everyone here is white and male. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's made incredible strides in a relatively short period of time. Education, uh, and maybe to a lesser extent, or maybe even a high, greater extent, fire, right, way, way behind on that front. So yeah, that I agree with you 100%. Mm -hmm. I just, I, it, 
Yeah, I mean, when it comes to outcomes for students, that's a really tough one because I think yeah. that is something philosophically we got into in the late 90s, early aughts with like No Child Left Behind and other federal models and whatnot without fully thinking through that not every kid achieves the same way, right? Like that's how what, what got us into the morass of standards to begin with. Like, mm. are we using bubble tests to, to judge intellect? Because that always falls flat. Like, are we using like a classical, like liberal education to like, you know, broaden our horizons because that doesn't make everybody happy, especially the publishers. I'm just curious where you, where you see that going. Well, you had mentioned like, you, you know, dumb people. And then you mentioned I that. I, said yeah, yeah, I was yeah, being yeah. sarcastic. No, of but course, yeah, of I mean, course. Like, <laughs> but you also mentioned that in comparison to those in AP. So that's on a high school level. Sure. So yeah. it doesn't start in high school. It starts no, when not. they're in elementary school and really pushing that education on these children in ways that they're able to stay focused and connect in the different ways that each student have. So every student has different needs and we need to be able to find a way where it's not just this one curriculum that has to be this exact way because not every child can relate to that way. With you on that front. Cool. What do you think about sex education? Needs to be taught. All right. You, can, you, can you say more about that? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think 13, correct me if I'm wrong, but a 13-year-old today is not the same 13-year-old as when I was 13, and it's not the same 13-year-old as from when you were 13. So to act like 13-year-olds are these innocent children who don't know sex is wrong. They, they know. They have phones. They have the internet. They're looking it up, so they should be educated because Google shouldn't be teaching them because they don't know the consequences of sex. And of course, it, it should be age appropriate, but we also have to take into account that age is different nowadays. It really is. With the technology that we have, with the access to all the information in the world just at our fingertips, we need to take that into account when we think of age appropriate. And it should be informational, not sexual. This shouldn't be this very sexualized course. It should be informational for these students to learn. Okay. No, I just, I think it's hilarious that, I don't know what you think we were doing in the early 90s, but I can assure you that 13, 14, we were smoking, drinking, doing tons <laughs> of drugs and having sex as well, too. So yeah, we, the millennials uh, did not invent this stuff at all. Yeah, that was well, and without Google, too. I and mean, we didn't need the internet to help us figure out how to have sex. The internet's so we much just, worse. I, uh, was, I, sex I, is I worse mean, or the Google is worse? What is what, what you can find on Google. Oh, okay. There's just too much yeah. information available. That's oh, true. Okay. I'll tell you, I mean, we. Uh, I feel like on this show, we cite these democratic stu demographic studies all, all the time that like our generation was in some ways like the most, the generation that was just like the, having like the most sex and the most drugs as teenagers. And that like after that, everybody got very reasonable. Mm -hmm. So like it's true. I feel like it's true that like kids can like look stuff up and like definitely know more probably true and false information than we do when we were teenagers, but they're definitely doing less with what they know. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we were definitely doing a lot more risky stuff, a lot more stupid stuff uh, mm. just across the board, which, you know, I take some perverse pride in being part of that cohort. Oh, totally. Know, totally. Yeah, no, I, I, no shame at all. I mean, we, we had a lot of probably, fun. It was yeah, party. We, we should have probably had way more detailed sex education than we had, but you know, that's um, what we need. We need Gen X to come around and actually be the ones advocating for yeah. sex ed, right? That's the thing is, is we've just kind of rested on our laurels and like we just take for granted the fact that we had a really good time and then we look down and we see all these kids are just boring us. <laughs> we're like, we didn't, we didn't die. And, I mean, some yeah. of us died, but I personally didn't die. So no, like, personally, no. A lot of people along the way. But yeah, that's well, whatever. Yeah, um, Part of the learning curve. Uh, so Mariah, what's your experience with education policy what in your life has helped you understand how your decisions would affect our 25,000 students just a 
be oh, clear too. Sure. Neither of us have any idea about education policy either. We're just making stuff up as we go along. So don't be ashamed <laughs> I mean, of saying, "Well, I don't have no a formal background in education policy." It's, it's I, I mean, I want to interrupt my own my own question <laughs> and say too, like I realize one of the reasons that I have felt so frustrated interviewing people about school committee issues versus city council issues, which normally I really enjoy discussing, is that. Um, there's this term, and this is actually like a, a term of art in some circles, I guess, where they call certain problems a wicked problem, not in like the Boston sense, but in the sense where it's like, this is a problem where all there are is trade-offs, all there are, are lesser of two evils. In fact, sometimes it's the lesser of like 15 evils, and it's never clear what's the lesser of the 15 evils. It depends on how you define evil. Um, you know, there's plenty of problems in society that are like that. There's also problems in society where there's like, easy solutions for some reason you can't do them but you know that it would work it seems like in education every single thing is a wicked problem every single thing is like how do we fix this thing with discipline well we can do a little of this and a little of this and you know this should probably work better but there's it's all there's still like trade-offs all the way down still like i don't know complexity all the way down whereas in city city politics other city politics there's a lot of these, I mean, there's like live questions like, should we outlaw panhandling? Should we make all of our sidewalks out of rubber? No. The second <laughs> one, definitely not. Very clear. <laughs> Evidentially, this is a, was a legitimate thing from like 10, 15 years ago. Wow. Definitely, we should not do this. And so this is why these are fun to talk about because we can just be like, a lot of these questions, I don't know the answer. Some of these questions. It is, and, and I think it goes back to what I was pressing a little bit on, like the outcome stuff, because it's from my perspective, and I come from a family of educators, but I, I squandered my own educational opportunity, so no expert on on this front either. Um, but I think it is important to be able to, to Mike's point, that it's almost like inherent that the job of public education is the adults are supposed, to, the adults in the room are supposed to be working their asses off to make sure that the, uh, the potential outcomes are, are as good as possible. And the students, on the other hand, though, I think it's almost like we've flipped it, like over the last 10, 15 years. Now we expect the students to be doing all of the work. And it's not that we've taken the burden off of the adults, but it's almost like we've lost the perspective that it's the adults' job to be doing all of the hard work. It's the students' uh, job. And it is their job. It's their responsibility as well to make the most within the constraints of their abilities uh, based on what the adults are offering. And I feel like that gets so muddled and lost when it comes to high-level uh, education conversations, especially when they start at the federal level down that's all about mandates and you know big lofty ideas without like just buckling down to these two basic ideas adults have something to offer young people and hopefully the young people are going to be willing to take advantage of it so that said we're done interrupting you go ahead <laughs> my experience with the education policy is being a student and yes. i've been i was a student so recently within the school system so i think my biggest experience with it is just being one of the students yeah. and being able to see okay this probably isn't going to work okay, I can see why a student might not agree with this or why a teacher might not agree with this because I was just a student listening to those teachers. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be my biggest um, experience with the policies is having to follow them. Okay. And so uh, one question that we only, I think, finally realized we should ask last week that I want to ask you is, like, where all have you gone to school and what's your experience been like? I, I went to elementary school at Quinn Sigmund Elementary. Okay. Um, I went to Sullivan Middle and then South High. I graduated mm -hmm. in 2015. And I had a great experience. I loved the schools. Um, you had mentioned, I don't want to beat you to your question, but my favorite teacher mm -hmm. was in sixth grade. I had a teacher named Miss Kanopka. Mrs. Kanopka? No, Miss Kanopka. I don't know. One <laughs> of the, I think it's Mrs. actually. I don't want to disrespect her, you know. Um, but just the way that she taught 
was she really stuck with me. So me and this one other student, we would learn the curriculum just like all the other students. But when she saw that we got distracted because we already, we kind of beat the class in a way. And we were a bit of over, we were the nerds in the class. Mm -hmm. And she saw that and she didn't want us to get distracted and then evidently fall behind because we're so distracted because we already, we're a know-it-all. So she would actually give us these packets. And after she taught the curriculum and she saw that we were ahead, we would just go off to the side of the classroom do the packet together and call it a day. So I just loved the way that she taught and she had just ever since she's been my favorite teacher and it was just such a great experience there with her. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, on an unrelated note, Brent crude oil is $65 a barrel up 2% on the week and down 13% on the year. Bitcoin is $9,900 unchanged on the week and up 29% on the year. Still not going in, Mike. I, you know, I, I feel <laughs> like this. I feel like these are kind of nicer times for Bitcoin, though, Brendan, because it, you know, a few weeks ago it was like, ah, oh, if I had just bought Bitcoin a year ago, I would have like still made like five times my money or whatever. And now it's like, oh, if you had bought Bitcoin a year ago, you would have made twenty nine percent more money, mm-hmm. which is nothing to sneeze at. But, it's nothing to sneeze at. When you're talking about insane amounts of speculation, is nothing at all. Yeah, you're looking for like three thousand percent. Really not my game. Three thousand times. Uh, you know, before we before we get to the questions about the wire and whatever, too, I want to mention that um, Worcester firefighter John Kennedy died last week in what's been called a death in the line of duty. And my buddy Scott Schaefer Duffy, who the Telegram and Gazette called Worcester's most traveled, most jailed, and most notorious political radical since Abby Hoffman was hit by a car while running last week. And we're all hoping that he will recover. He's recovered a lot faster than I thought he would have. So we'll see how it Scott, goes. Of course, he's going to recover fast. I mean, you know, I have to say, though, like, yeah, like, that's definitely what I would say now. But, like, man, seeing lying in that hospital bed that first night, I was like, wow, man. Like, as much as as much as much somebody might loom large in our mind as, like, a dynamic, strong figure, mm-hmm. when they get hit by a car, doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody's that dynamic and that strong compared to a car, pretty mm-hmm. much. Like, if you know. Yeah, so it's, it's amazing to me that he's recovering at all. I don't know. Anyway, good luck, buddy. Um, you haven't seen The Wire. I haven't seen The Wire. Do you know how much you can bench? I don't, I assume maybe the bar. All right. So we're talking 45 pounds maybe? I I don't even know if I ever have. I've done some pull-ups. All right. I mean, that counts. (laughs) I've gone to the gym, (laughs) but I don't. How many pull-ups can you do? 10. I think that's impressive for a female. That is amazing. (laughs) That's really, that's definitely impressive. You should see how much you can bench. I bet you can bench more than you think you can. Probably. Probably not right now, to be honest, though. Maybe, let me get back on track and then maybe we'll do a follow-up interview just for that one question and I'll have an answer. Brendan, I don't know if you remember this, but in Dr. Spock's, you know, famous book on childcare, the first sentence is, you know more than you think you do. Mm. And I'm going to write a book about bench pressing called, (laughs) starts off saying, you can bench more more than than you think you you can. Yeah. Yeah. That's reasonable. Uh, what what are some other things we want to talk about vis-a-vis education? You're asking me? Yeah. I, we thought we just said we were both idiots when it came to we education. We are both idiots, but nonetheless. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What else is, uh, what do you want to talk about in terms of education? What are you talking to, to, to voters about? I think overall, we need to focus on creating a connection between the parents, the students, and the teachers. Because right now, the, although the school committee meetings are public, they're boring, mm-hmm. quote unquote. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. saying it. I'm not assuming it. Oh, they are. I, I've been told. <laughs> so creating more events where there can be feedback from the parents, students, and teachers is very important. And to be able to connect with the school committee members, because I've been told like, oh, you know, 
my information is public. They have my email, my phone number. They can reach me anytime. But we shouldn't just wait for someone to complain to hear the complaint. We should be beating them to it so that way we can fix issues before they become a complaint. Yeah. And so if we're listening consistently and we're really trying to work on hearing people instead of anytime an issue comes up, turning away from it until it, you know, wears out a little bit and, you know, now it's off of the media, so who cares? Mm -hmm. If we were listening and really getting feedback from those around us, positive or negative, whether we agree with it or not, we should be listening mm -hmm. because that's all people want. They just want to be heard. So if we created more events where there can be more of an interaction, keep it casual. It doesn't have to be these formal meetings and really have conversations with each other. I think we can solve a lot of more, a lot more issues than we'd expect to. Mm -hmm. yeah, so one of your challengers, yeah. I can't remember who it was, brought this up a couple of weeks back. And I, I think it does hold true, but it also highlights a lot of the differences from school to school in terms of parents and parent engagement. Like if you said that to the administration or the school committee, they, I think they would very quickly, any of them, even if you win, I think you'd probably take the same approach at some point in time is that that's what we have the PTO organizations for at every school, the parent teacher organizations or PTAs or different labels, depending on, on the school. But it's that's we have so many frameworks where it come mm -hmm. where like the purpose is just school level interaction between teachers, administrators, students, parents, and making sure everybody is on the same page. What do you think needs to be be done to make sure that everybody is aware that those opportunities already exist and have existed for decades? Like they're nothing nothing new at all. Yeah, the only thing is, I guess of course we can promote those types of organizations, but that connection between the actual school committee members the superintendent, mm -hmm. and then just the regular residents. Rather than having that gateway organization, we should be reaching out to them ourselves and have conversations and be able to hear their feedback because a lot of times no one is involved until there's this huge issue and it mm -hmm. could have been avoided. So if we were just going out and maybe just doing it ourselves versus expecting, you know, of course, the parents being able to talk to the PTO, but they should be able to talk to the school committee members and the superintendent mm -hmm. and have that access because enough people aren't going to those. Mm -hmm. So we need to really create events to allow them to. So what does that look like in your head? It's a, we've got, what is it 70,000? How many students do we have in the public schools? Don't ask me, man. 25,000? 25,000? Our, our, our question here says there's 25,000 students. So 25,000 students. That's So let's assume 20, just... 25,000 students and let's assume a single a single adult in charge of each one of those students. Mm -hmm. What does that look like in terms of the superintendent's time or the school committee's time hearing the voices of 25,000 uh, guardians? I don't expect every single person to show up to every single event. But if we made this a regular thing where we can have a few people at this time and then do it again maybe in two weeks and mm -hmm. have another one and just keep a consistent, hey, I'm available, I'm here, I'm here to listen to you, come by, maybe eat, have coffee, something mm -hmm. where everyone can just casually talk to one another and really feel like they're being heard. Because if it's just this outpour at the school committee meetings and people are just angry and we're not really creating change. Oh no, the school committee meetings are not. Yeah, it's not too the forum aggressive. For, it's, but it's not the forum for people to actually be speaking, anyways. It's unfortunately. I mean, the school, com the, the city council, I think, did a number on that front years ago, just in terms of limiting people's ability to uh, to speak and the amount of time that they have and whatnot. You're right. There needs to be a direct access. There's channel, six of us, but so. it's, I think part of it is again that numbers over. It's that's one of the big challenges. I think it's it's why I'm kind of picking your brain a little bit because mm -hmm. you, you're actually giving me things to think about that I haven't before that. Um, 
you know, the school committee for with, with a, a limited number of people, a limited number of resources actually has like an engaged, whether whether it's directly engaged with the school committee or not, they're, they're responsible for 25,000 humans. And then alongside that, all the teachers, educators, mm-hmm. uh, paraprofessionals, whatever the case may be, um, along that, that support those 25,000 students. It's a ridiculous burden. Whereas I feel like the, uh, the school, the city council, like, they're just responding to whoever shows up, right? Like it, yeah. it, it, there is no direct report, right? Like the, the district counselors have their districts and whatnot, but there's, if, if the, the district counselor doesn't show up for two years, then you just vote them out of office. It's not much changes for that neighborhood and whatnot where school committee doesn't do its job. It directly impacts the lives of 25,000 students. The flip side of that though, is how do 25,000 people communicate effectively with whatever a body of, of of a dozen people uh superintendent school committee members uh other administrators and whatnot effectively because that's again that's that's a huge funnel to get yeah. from twenty five thousand down to half a dozen uh in terms of effective meaningful conversation mm-hmm. i definitely agree there's definitely a lot of people and a lot of people are going to have opinions mm-hmm. but if we just kept something reoccurring even an interactive facebook page where you know I'll respond myself rather than, you know, oh, thanks for your feedback. I'll look into it. Mm-hmm. We need to have conversations and really get to know one another and really hear what these parents are upset about or what these teachers are upset about. And even the students, because if they're stepping up, they shouldn't just have their backs turned on them. Sure. They should be listened to, regardless if they're agreed with or not, mm-hmm. listen to them. Yeah. So if there was just more opportunity for these students and parents and teachers to really contact and listen and set up meetings or just something more casual than Mm -hmm. a school committee meeting where they're not going to get the chance to speak and actually be heard. Mm. So if it's just a reoccurring event where, you know, say 20 people Mm -hmm. once a week kind of a deal, keep it that way. Just something reoccurring where everyone has the opportunity to speak. Yeah. All right. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Good luck with the election. Thank you. Brendan, thank you also for being here today. Thanks for having me. It's always a great pleasure. Everybody, thanks for watching. This is 508 saying you can bench more than you think you can. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>